Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. On this episode, well, last episode, we covered beers so light, they're not even really beer. This time, we're covering the efforts of the Rhode Island Brewing Society and their monster Doppelbach. You may remember we co-hosted party with Country Malt Group at the Guild, where Ribs members got to brew a smaller, more party-friendly version of their 12-13% to 13% Doppelbach. Before the party, I sat down with them to talk to their group, talk about what their group's doing, their competition, and the beer that was selected to be brewed at the Guild. And then, of course, we're going to smash forward to the party itself so that you can hear us tasting the more restrained, more commercially friendly beer. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Home Brewing. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the HA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. the table we are in providence rhode island uh, it is homebrew con time well, why not do some business while we're here right so i have sitting with me at the table here and we are at uh, buttonwoods brewing company and this is in warwick rhode island uh, cranston, cranston island ah. south of providence there we go screwed up my geography I, I shall flog myself in shame and i have three members of a fine upstanding local homebrew club guys introduce yourselves Sure, I'm uh, Ryan Durgan. I'm the club secretary for the Rhode Island Brewing Society. A.K.A. Ribs. Ribs. My name is Alex McIntosh. I am the current president of Ribs. I'm Scott Mendes, and I'm just a member of Ribs. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been messaging me for a while. Yeah, so, yeah. So uh, you're, apparently you're a very outspoken member. Pretty much, yes. 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 
Well, all right. So let's talk a little bit about ribs. Like, well, actually, first let's talk the homebrewing scene here in Providence. Like, how many clubs are here in Providence or in this area? So Rhode Island's, you know, obviously it's the smallest state in the country. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there are three homebrew clubs in Rhode Island. There is Ribs, the Rift, which is the Rhode Island Fermentation Technicians, and the East Bay Homebrewers, which is a very small homebrew club in Rhode Island. And when did Ribs get started? Uh, Ribs actually started in 2011. It was formed by about uh, four or five friends that all, most of them worked together. They all loved home brewing, so they came together, formed a club, and we've been growing ever since. The big reason that Ribs formed initially was that the other homebrew clubs in Rhode Island was, was more of a very in-the-know, not really open, outspoken or anything. Very clicky. Very, yeah, very clicky. There you go. Very clicky. And we wanted to really be uh, very inclusive. Anyone that wants to come, have at it, come join in education heavy, not clicky at all. If you love homebrewing, or even if you just have the idea to homebrew, come join our club. We'll help you out. So how many members do you guys have? Well, right now we have, how many, Ryan? So right now we're about 70 members. 70, not, not bad. Yeah. During 2011? Yeah, being three years ago, we were about uh, 25 strong. We have essentially doubled every year for the past three years. A lot of homebrew clubs are kind of struggling right now because I think various things. What do you guys attribute your success to? I would really say the openness of ribs, the inclusivity of just having anyone, everyone come join us, as long as you're 21 plus, obviously, but just e- either love home brewing, you do it, you want to do it, or you're just interested in the hobby itself, whether it's beer, wine, mead, or fermented foods. We just love having it all, and we love having a good time and educating people on the hobby. I think education is a big part of it. I think a lot of people want to learn, and there's a real openness here. Yeah, we, we really made ourselves available. We... we social media campaigns, we let people know that we are here. You know, if you build it, they will come. And that's exactly what we did, and it's been working out well for us. It's been great, too. We've used Slack, really, to keep everybody engaged yeah. in between meetings. So we have separate channels for fermented foods or separate channels. You guys have a Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> meet uh, once every two weeks. and they have a You're not, you're not helping on. the idea that yeah. uh, homebrewers are nerdy. <laughs> All sorts of little subgroups, and you can uh, ask for brew day advice or ask for ingredients if somebody's in the neighborhood. or Slack's Slack has probably been the greatest thing for our homebrew club in recent years. It's really a way for members to stay engaged, to post links on. We have a buy, sell, trade channel. It's like, oh, this thing's on sale today. Have at it. Uh, like Ryan said, brew day channels, advice. And, you know, not everyone can make the monthly meetings. It's a, it's a time investment. Everyone has families and other stuff going on. So it's an easy way to stay more involved than the standard email listserv. What do you guys feel that you do special for education? We'll have a different member pick a topic for an individual meeting and they give a speech on it. We've had people come in and do different yeast comparisons or style descriptions. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We're always trying to do a yeast experiment or some sort of brew day experiment. Two members for the same beer, slightly change something up. We have, like Ryan said, we have speakers come in. But we also do homebrew 101 classes at multiple libraries around the state. They usually contact us. Uh, a couple months ago, was a library in Providence, Rhode Island. They had a few people coming to the library looking for books on homebrewing. Obviously, they had John Palmer and Charlie P's book, but they hit our club up and was like, hey, can y'all do a homebrew class? So we come with all the equipment. We don't brew on premise, but we come with all the equipment and a slideshow to show them the steps. Make it a little less intimidating. Exactly. A few samples usually, too. 
See, I think I would have gotten much more enjoyment out of the library in college if I could have had a few samples in the library in college. You know, my, my grandmother was a librarian. I, you know, if she was still a librarian, I'd, I'd, I'd bring that to her as, a, as advice. You know, Grams, serve beer. It makes people happy. Part of the reason why I have you guys here to talk is not only because you guys are local, but also because you guys are running a competition that's directly affecting the event that we're doing tonight. So let's talk a little bit about the competition. Yeah, sure. So uh, the OSHC is the Ocean State Homebrew Competition. It is, I can't say the largest, but it's one of the largest homebrew competitions in New England. Uh, this past year, we saw upwards of 570 entries, which is not a small scale. It's a very large comp. Um, it's over the course of two days. This year, we had so many entries, we had to actually do a couple prejudging rounds uh, within some BJCP certified members of our club. And great prizes. Ryan here really hits up people, uh, companies all over the nation to send in prizes. We had a, a cool bots, a couple of clear draft systems, as well as all the great breweries and businesses around here that donate stuff for us. Turns out if you go and you just ask people. Yeah, it's amazing what a simple ask will give you. And uh, one of the best aspects of the OSHC every year is that all proceeds go to benefit the Rhode Island Community Food Bank. And this year we... So we do a raffle at the end of the award ceremony, and people can either bring in uh, non-perishable foods for a ticket, or you can buy tickets. So we raised upwards of $2,500, and we uh, donated, I believe, 450 pounds of non-perishable food items, you know, canned good, pasta, whatnot. So yeah, it's great for the community. You know, what better than beer and charity, right? Brewers have, or homebrewers have this perception from a lot of people that, you know, we're a bunch of slackers who like to make beer and yeah, you know, drunkards. and not the case with the community at all. Yeah, particularly if you're running something, right? I mean, that means you got to have you got to have some skills. You got you're taking your time, and so it's beautiful to see like actually kind of giving yeah, back. Yeah, our, our uh, two organizers, uh, Joshua Fogg and Chris Marangolo, they do an awesome job taking care of all the organization aspects. Ryan Durgan here does all the sponsorship requests and callouts. And we have a great team of uh, Rhode Island Brewing Society members, as well as other homebrew club members who just want to come in and help staff it and organize it between cellarmen and all the stewarding and judging. Uh, it's a great time. So does Scott do anything other than look pretty? No, he does look pretty. Hey, I oh, believe uh, you, you won a couple medals. You're not, yeah, he, you did win a few medals. You're not too keen on judging, but you were a champion <laughs> steward. So <laughs> yes, thank C you. certainly pulling thank his weight. If, you, if you're going to go do a beer competition... The place to be is to be as a steward. Yes. You know, not yes. the judging. The ju judging's work. Although this year, yeah, yeah, this year we did uh, adopt the new uh, NHC BJCP slider score sheets, I believe they're commonly known as. That makes the process so much faster. Uh, how many how many entries did you have? So this we year? had about 570. Uh, that's an impressive amount. Yes, it is. And then out of those 570, one rose to the top. One did rise to the top. And, and and what was what was the prize for rising to the top? Well, uh, the location we hosted at is the Guild in Providence, Rhode Island, or Pawtucket rather. It's uh, slightly north of Providence. An awesome brewery, great people there. We could not have the OSHC if it was not for the Guild. So big props and shout out to them. Yeah, this and, year, we, and we talked to Isle Brewers Guild. Jeremy on Duffy, yep. yeah, that was a great interview. Uh, awesome dude. He's responsible for a lot of this stuff. He really wants to help the homebrew community. And he goes out of his way to do so. So this year, they wanted to give the top prize a chance to brew on their pilot system. 
which, you know, pilot's a very relative term. I was gonna, if I remember from the interview, it's like 15 barrels or 10 barrels? Yeah, so their pilot system is one of the 10-barrel uh, turnkey SS Brutex systems, which is just gorgeous, and I, I personally love SS Brutex. So uh, awesome system, great chance to brew on it. And myself and Ryan Durgan uh, won that prize. It was a Doppelbach that we, uh, at least in our home brew, we double the cocks, you know, do a very long fermentation, very long lagering period, and it won top prize. I find this funny because I mean, we're sitting here, we're drinking these New England IPAs, you know, with all, all this, you know, hop juice, all, you know, all this punch to it, and you win for a Doppelbach. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, you know, there were a lot of great New England IPAs, a lot of great IPAs. It was obviously the biggest table of the competition. But, you know, sometimes you can get IPA'd out. You need to go back to classics. Some, sometimes being different is the key. Judged in March, too, helps a little bit. It's not seasonal. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> it's nice and cold out. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we have uh, pouring in front of us right now is a really just a beautiful, deep chocolate brown with some really nice, you know, uh, kind of slightly ruby highlights. Nice little head to it in the beige area. Tell us about the recipe while I, while I stick my schnoz in this. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you take a sip, and I'll just straight up read the recipe and percentages. Um, so it was 20% just standard German two-row, or sorry, uh, Pilsner from Weyermann. Uh, about 70% of Weyermann Munich malt, their Munich, uh, their 9 SRM Munich. 7% Kara Munich malts, uh, and that was the 56 SRM. Uh, a touch of honey malt, about 2%, a little bit of residual sweetness in there, and then uh, 2% of crystal 60, and then a small bittering charge for about 20 IBUs of magnum at 60 minutes. Just very simple. Let the malt shine. The ingredients are great. Let them shine. We did a mash at about, we did a double decoction. Mm -hmm. So you did a double decoction. Um, and I'm guessing you probably did like a, a, a low rest. You know, like in the 120-ish area. Yeah, yeah. We did the 125-ish. Then we did the uh, beta amylase. Right, about up into the 140s. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Standard double decoction. Now, why did... I mean, obviously, okay, we're talking uh, a Doppelbach here. So a lot of people a lot of people view decoction in German beers. Hey, it's super traditional. This is what we should do. I look at it and I go, eh, that's a hell of a lot of work. Did you Did you do it? because of the tradition or did you do it because you felt like you were getting something from it so the first so this is the third iteration of this beer me and ryan brew this beer probably twice a year for the past two years the first time we did this uh, me and him you know we brew separately a lot but he has a 10 barrel a 10 gallon system yeah, right you got a 10 barrel system <laughs> no 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 <laughs> <laughs> so we don't, we'll, we'll hang out on a saturday or sunday drink a few beers put together a quick beer together you know just enjoy life and we're talking one day, and he had never done a decoction before. I'm like, well, of course, hell, we have to do a decoction if you've never done one, because every home brewer should do a decoction. At least once. Exactly. And we decided on a Doppelbach, good traditional style that really incorporates those decoctions. So we did it, and it came out phenomenal. So we did it again, and why change it up? Oh, I, so, and, now, and now you're like, don't breathe on the recipe. So good the first time. Exactly. And I've done some other German-style Pilsners and whatnot that I've done decoctions and no decoction. Personally, I think decoction does make a difference. There's a lot of people that would disagree with me. Um, but, you know, so be it. That's the great thing about home brewing. You know, we, we, we do whatever the hell we want. Hey, if, if you're having fun doing it, exactly. 
and you feel like you're getting great beer out of the other side of it. I don't care if you're brewing uh, naked while circling around your mash kettle three times <laughs> counterclockwise. Go for it. Yeah. But back to the recipe, the most important part I should even talk about is the uh, OG and FG. So the OG of this beer is around 1.1, and our FG ends up being around uh, 10, 18-ish, depending on when we make it. We use a safe lager 3470. It is a powerhouse. It's a workhorse. So, you know, depending on the iteration we do and whatnot, this beer is usually around 10, 11%. So, so yeah, you're getting 82 points of drop. That's, that's not bad. And, I mean, what you've got here is, I mean, I do get that magnum. Uh, oddly enough, it comes in as kind of a leafy thing in the very back end. I mean, you get the bitterness, but there's still there's still a bit of that German leafiness as you kind of breathe back out. But uh, and and of course, everything about the beer is just high, super caramel malt. Yeah, yeah, and along with all that toasty Munich. No, it, it's certainly on the extreme side of the style. Like no one would say this is a perfect example of a traditional Doppelbach. We're Americans; we don't do subtlety. Exactly. So one question I did have: you said you had so you had Munich. Care Munich, and then also C60 in there? That's correct. So why the C60? Um, really, it was just to add a different type of crystal sweetness. You know, Care Munich is an amazing malt. gives you that good, you know, caramely without being too cloying. We wanted just a little bit of a different, more complex sweetness in there. So throw in, we didn't want to just do a different Care Munich malt or a different Lovabon. We wanted a completely different crystal malt. And it just so happens that Ryan had some crystal 60 laying around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hey, it's in it's in the brewery. It ends up in the kettle. Exactly. People forget how much of brewing history is exactly that. Well, Bob, I don't know. We've got this on hand. What should we do with it? Let's make beer. What do you think, sir? You're, you're saying they're being very quiet. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I can drink this all day long. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that would be a very short day if you're drinking nothing but this. <laughs> it's an excellent beer. This is one of my favorite beers that they brew. Thank you. Um, I've had... Probably two iterations of this, and uh, each time it gets better. Well, what do, you, what do you guys think has changed between the iterations? I think the balance. Ah, you can't say that word. Oh, shoot. We <laughs> tried to experiment a little with doing temperature, so warm ferment one and cold ferment the other. And there was a little more fruity to that, the warmer ferment. I think you could notice it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, uh, you know, when we make this, we each have a five-gallon keg. You know, Ryan tends to drink through his pretty quick, and uh, I tried to sit on mine a little more. The first couple of batches we did, I really just drank through it, and of course, the last drop of a keg is the best drop. So I took that to heart, and I just, you know, the traditional German rule of thumb is that for every degree Play-Doh, it's a week of lagering. So this guy has been lagering now for about uh, seven months. I mean, to me, it's really interesting because, like I said, it's that big upfront malt bomb. And there's a little bit, there's a little bit of sugar on the on the lips that kind of hangs out. But I mean, that's not surprising for a Doppelbach. The other thing is, you know, there's alcohol in this, but it hides it pretty well. Thank you. That was our this version here came out to eleven percent, and isn't that you know for a big Doppelbach? I don't want a five percent session Doppelbach. I want a big winter sipping beer, even though it's eighty degrees in June currently. It's a perfect beer for the winter, but you can also down it right now. <laughs> yeah, you can you, you can down a, it, this this comes very close to. I have a classification of beers that I call uh, widowmakers. Ah, yeah. And those are the those are the beers you have the one of like the one healthy pour of. Yes, sir. And you find yourself kind of melted into the couch. 
uh, for listeners, we're going to actually do another tasting, but we're going to do the tasting of the beer as brewed at the Guild. So you're going to hear that smash together. Uh, but before we get there, let's actually talk about what was the brew day like at the Guild. So you guys are used to doing your double decoction, everything else. What's it like when you go to a 10-barrel system on this? Pretty amazing. It's we It was somewhat hands-on. We had to dump the grain in. But beyond that, you don't touch anything. It's all. Yeah, the, the yeah. SS Brewtech system is awesome they use. And the guys at the Guild, uh, our brewer that day was a gentleman named Rich. And he was fantastic. Really did most of the work for us. You know, we both have day jobs. So they said they were starting around 10 o'clock. So we, we put in a couple hours at work. Then we head over there. Rich had already gotten all the grain bags ready for us. All the water heated up. So we just do minimal effort and just kind of enjoy and uh, watch everything happen. I'm assuming their Brutech system wasn't capable of doing a decoction, right? No, no. So we were not able to do a decoction. And since we're having the party tonight, the kickoff party hosted by, yeah, the Experimental Brewing and Country Malt kickoff party at the Guild, they wanted to tone the ABV down a little bit. So it ended up coming out to about 8%, unfortunately. Well, that's still <laughs> solidly in traditional Doppelbach Much range. Much more of a traditional Doppelbach, yeah. Uh, I've had samples in the Bright Tank. It tastes fantastic. It's really a slightly scaled-down version of this, but the same sweetness without being cloying. Uh, and the same complexity. It's awesome. Did you guys make any adjustment to the recipe for the lack of decoction? We used slightly different uh, suppliers of malt. They wanted to use the country malt brands as they should so pretty much did the same uh, style malt you know their brand munich their brand pilsner but kept everything the same within the malts they had available and nothing like a melanoidin substitution you know because a lot of people will talk about oh throw melanoidin you know, we talked about it and their head brewer there jack streak awesome guy very knowledgeable uh ended up deciding against it he said there's enough caramel malt in here caramel munich and caramel we don't need to put melanoid in there. It's going to taste fantastic, and he knows the stuff because he was he was right. Excuse me, we have a, uh, excuse me, we have an interloper. We have an interloper, sir. Introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Josh Fogg. I'm vice president of the Rhode Island Brewing Society, and I'm also the co-organizer of the Ocean State Homebrew Competition. So somehow it's your fault that these two knuckleheads ended up winning, right? <laughs> kinda. Kinda. They just happen to be good brewers. That's that's really the gist of it. It's a fair competition, so the. The best, best man wins. I don't know. I, I sense shenanigans. <laughs> All right. Well, so we talked a little bit about the competition earlier, about the charitable efforts behind it and you know the size of the competition. What else about the competition strikes you as like, you know, something, something that you really feel proud about with it? One of the biggest things that I feel proud about is actually the size of it because it started out as a few hundred entries about seven or eight years ago, nine years ago, and... Uh, it's slowly grown, but once the Rhode Island Brewing Society took over control and really put a lot of effort, we had a dedicated team, and we all just came together and put forth 110%, and it just grew exponentially over the past couple of years. It went from 350 to 450 to 563 entries this year, and that's, it was a huge task to take care of that size competition. I couldn't have done it without a great team. Always is. The biggest, uh, biggest pain is getting the, the judges and stewards necessary. Oh, yeah. But... What do you attribute the growth of the competition to? Why are you getting a lot of internal growth, like from ribs, or are you seeing a lot of external involvement? And why do you think that is? That's a good question. I think it's a lot of club involvement. A club's grown, so naturally the competition has grown with it. But the uh, the people involved have helped spread the word. 
through Facebook, through email. Uh, Ryan Durgan's been an amazing uh, sponsor coordinator. Alex has done all the judge coordinating, just getting the word out to all these people that we need to help make the competition happen. And uh, we started using um, MailChimp as our kind of like email listserv. So the emails got a little fancier, a little nicer. I think That's people started picking up on that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like a package deal once you see the logos and the labels and the graphics come together. And It's the same reason why I tell clubs, you know, you should work on getting incorporated, you should work on you know, getting like the legal paperwork together and getting your insurance and getting all this because no matter what, the fact that you're still a bunch of, you know, knuckleheads who are, you know, running around making beer, you know, like all the chuckleheads that we are, having that paperwork suddenly makes authorities in other places take you more seriously. They're like, oh. I, you know, part of, part of growing too, because we showed growth, uh, the guild, you know, gave us the space a long time ago before they were ever even uh, built. We were doing competition in their like half demoed back space that used to be a pole dancer studio <laughs> and you know it was rough we we were judging in like 39 degree weather but they saw us grow so they had us come back every year and because the guild has given us the space they gave us refrigeration they gave us basically carte blanche to run around their brewery uh for the whole weekend that's another big reason that that it's been able to just get as big as it is because we needed the space to do it yeah it's always great to have a strong partner because finding, it's always a challenge finding spaces that will let people in to do beer things that aren't a revenue generator. It's like everybody's like, wait, what do you mean you want to bring in your own beer? You're, I'm, you're supposed to buy my beer. So it's, it's good that you guys have that solid partner to help you, help you keep moving. Yeah, and if I may interject quickly, uh, one reason we're here doing this recording at Buttonwoods Brewery in Cranston, Rhode Island, is Buttonwoods is probably the biggest supporter of ribs beside the guild uh they he lets us have our monthly meetings here the second wednesday of every month gives us free reign of his brewery he's even pouring beers for us when he's not open so morgan and buttonwoods brewery is the place to go uh, and morgan also opened up the brewery earlier so that we could sit down and talk. yeah exactly he, he is biggest supporter for home brewing hands down all right well before we go i do have one question for you guys what are you going to change in the next iteration of the Doppelock, or is this locked now? So next iteration, the more I taste it, the more I realize that I just don't quite have that characteristic. It is very smooth beer, but it's not that quite Doppelbock smoothness. So I think we'll tone down the IBUs a hair, maybe go with a different hop outside of German Magnum, maybe something with a slightly lower beta contents. Outside of that, I mean, people have told us we should tone down the OG a little bit, get the ABV a little bit, but eh. That's their well, but opinion. I mean, we have ours. I mean, this is what you are liking. So exactly, whatever. Let's go. Yeah, let's more, go with it. More, more lagering time and maybe slightly less IBUs. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, oh, and anything in the water chemistry? Uh, yes. So my day job is a chemist. I am a chemist by nature. That's my job. Went to grad school for it. Love it. So, I should have gotten your help to pass all of my college uh, chemistry courses. <laughs> there you go. So I am a water chemistry nerd through and through. pH every time, always getting water reports. So this guy's pH is about 5.3. Um, probably could take it up to about 5.5 to get a little bit more smooth mouthfeel. But our chloride to sulfate ratio is, a, trying to remember it off the head, but I want to say it's about a uh, 1 to 0.7 chloride to sulfate ratio. About 100 ppm to 70 ppm. Uh, pr- pr- pretty par for the course for... For a Doppelbach. Favoring, uh, favoring the chloride, but not monster numbers. One, exactly. of the things that, one of the things that like Denny always talks about with the, the whole obsession with chloride sulfide is you got to be careful about what you're talking about because 
you know, yeah, okay, you could do the same ratio, but with these big mineral numbers, yeah. it's not going to work. And, and a lot of folks will try to replicate the water sources from Germany and whatnot. I, you don't know what they were when they were brewing it. You still don't really know what they are now. I don't bother with it. And you don't know what the brewery's doing before they yeah, actually exactly. use the water, so, et cetera, et cetera. Good job. That's their water source. I doesn't matter to me. Last question before I let you guys go. Since your club name is Ribs, are you guys actually required to have ribs at every club meeting? So we have had them at some meetings. Unfortunately, not every meeting. But uh, anyone that brings ribs automatically gets uh, kudos from every member. And yeah, well, I'll just say it out there. You bring ribs to a, mem- uh, to a member meeting, we'll give you a free membership. Have at it. There you <laughs> go. All right, there you guys go. You heard the deal. Ribs and a free membership. That sounds like a good idea. And so now that we're here, I need you guys to give everybody the details. How can they find you? How can they find out your events? How can they get into your Slack? How can they do all the stuff you need to do to be a Ribs member? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way is just to email info at ribrewingsociety.com to get on Slack. For social media, again, we are the Rhode Island Brewing Society. We have Facebook uh, and Instagram account. And yeah. So I, well, oh, yeah, websites. Sorry, our website is the ribrewingsociety.com. And you can see us at the Social Club. We're there at HomebrewCon, the Social Club, as well as Club Night. There we are. All right, so go look out all the social media channels. We'll make sure to include links in the show notes so you guys can find it out. And I don't know how long the beer is going to be on draft at the Guild, but if you get a chance, well, you'll hear our review about what the beer tastes like. So yeah. go, go and grab yourself a pint. and uh, Goat Ribs. Goat ribs. Goat ribs. It's the name of the beer. Greatest of all time ribs, huh? There we go. Yeah, it's New England. Tom Brady's got to sneak into the conversation everywhere. All right. Well, hey, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very much, Drew. Really appreciate it. The first day of Homebrew Con, it's madness, and this is us getting it started. I think at this point in time, y'all are going to hear, and we're going to be a couple hours into the future, we're going to be having the beer as brewed at the guild. So sit back, relax, time travel. We have now done the time warp. We are here at the guild. We are in the middle of the party and we have both samples of the original homebrew Doppelbach and the Doppelbach that was brewed here at the guild. And guys, just real quick, as we're passing these out in the middle of a hallway situated on top of a recycling bin. Yes, sir. Differences between the guild version and the homebrew version. Uh, for a quick sheet, uh, the Guild version is tailored down in ABV to be more party-friendly, as there is an amazing party going on outside with probably close to 500-plus people. Uh, it comes in about 8%, and then our ribs uh, Doppelbach comes in about 11%, and it is much more time spent lagering. Uh, we're talking about six to eight months, whereas the, the Guild version was a quick lager, in time for the party. Yeah, and for the record, the Guild is the paler uh, version? Yeah, so the Guild version has not been filtered. It is, you know, a slight hay, a slight yeast haze to it, to whereas the homebrew version has been lagering for many months, and it is crystal clear. Seven months? All right, so remember again, guys, when we, when we tasted this earlier in the day, and all of our palates were fresh, and life was perfect, and the evening was going to be a beautiful day, we we said the homebrew version was sort of this big hidden alcohol malt bomb with you know just a lot of chewiness, but at the same time, not a lot of cloying sweetness. 
It had those little bit of raisin characters. And, you know, it really kind of came through. And it really kind of hid that 11% alcohol. Yep. Okay. And so from a straight up initial taste, confirming that, you know, still that the little thing, you got that extra hop character that you were talking about a little bit ago. Uh, and also a little bit of that extra little acidity. Yep. Yep. Certainly. All right. So now let's go ahead and let's break into the smaller Doppelbach as brewed here at the Guild without the decoction. Yes. And with some different As malts. we refer to it as the session Doppelbach <laughs> that weighs in at 8%. 7.7%. Different people have a different idea of what session means. <laughs> Most certainly. Short session. Uh, well, I mean, look, any beer is sessionable as long as the session includes sitting on the couch and falling asleep. So the very first thing I notice is I don't get the same big overt malt aroma. I don't get the I don't get the raisins. I don't get as much of the oomph. No, it's certainly more toned down, um, which was one of the goals of this beer at this facility was to make a, a, a somewhat of a, a, a ribs goat light. Even though eight percent is not light by any means, but a light version of our Doppelbach that we did on the homebrew scale, maybe more seasonable than sessionable. Yeah. So in the background, uh, podcast listeners won't be able to hear this, but we've got more chocolate in the homebrew version, more body in the homebrew version. Did I get that right? Yeah. Oh, there's Consider more alcohol in the homebrew version. And so, yeah, I mean, immediately, like, the the version that we're having here at the Guild, because it is that quote-unquote sessionable doppelbock, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have, it, it doesn't land the same it doesn't come in with that same over the top. No, no, it doesn't. But again, you know, our homebrewed version was a double decoction, 11% beast. And I think the guild did an amazing job at tailoring that down to more of a, you know, crowd friendly, quote unquote, session Doppelbach at, you know, taking the same recipe, but making it towards 8%. You know, uh, I believe the list of value is 7.7. Um, to really make that more of a sessionable, which again, that's a very loose term we're using now, sessionable. But no, uh, so what do you think, Jared? Do you get the same caramel nose? Do you get the same like, you know, sweetness up front, but no cloying aftertaste as the homebrew version? Yeah, I think what I'm getting is I'm getting a lot of the similar themes, right? Like in terms of the aroma and, and the flavor. But yeah, I'm not getting at the same sort of level of like, you know, oh, this one goes to 11. Yeah, totally. I'm not getting the same level of sweetness. It's not cloying. Yeah. But there, there is sweetness to the 11 percenter, which just makes sense because you've got so much extra sugar in the mix in order to get up there. Almost certainly. So I totally get, like, yeah, this does feel like the slightly more family-friendly version of <laughs> the Doppelbach. Instead of, like, the, where, like, the, the homebrew version hits you with all that flavor right in the front, the um, the... The guild version sort of gives you a little bit of an airy lift and then hits you with the flavor. So it gets you ready for it, gets your palate ready for it, and then hits you. Yeah, no, that's a, per- that's a perfect way to say it. I mean, yeah, the, the upfront appro- uh, approach of the beer is softer. Yeah, it, it's not going to like make you feel like, hi, I'm going to hit you in the nose now. To me, it's interesting because, again, like I said, I mean, we have the obvious differences. We have that 3% difference in alcohol, which is huge. Let's make no uh, make no mistake about that. But I mean, Humber is also very light on the carbonation, which I think will affect some of the the perceptions of things. 
but I mean, the homebrew comes off very much more like a port, a sherry, that big sort of fortified y. Yeah, it, it's certainly a big beer for a Doppelbach. And, and I know some traditionalists out there, especially the BJCP traditional judges out there, will hate us for calling this grain bill that we specified earlier and this beer a traditional Doppelbach. Because it is a big boy. It, it is a little bit outside the range for Doppelbach. But, you know, we're calling it Doppelbach. It was brewed to be a Doppelbach. And that's what it is. It's a Doppel or Triplebach. Triple Bach. There you go. Yeah. Drew, Drew termed Come it first. Triple Bach. hell or high water. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Jim Cook from Boston Beer Company got Triple Bach way before me. Um, but no, it is interesting to see, like, because, yeah, I agree. I mean, so even the Guild version at that 8% level, that's still a beer that you kind of want to be a little careful with, right? You know, you don't want to, like, you know, you're not going to go pour a glass of it and then pour another immediate glass of it. But it's also very smooth. It is. Yeah, today's the first day of summer in Rhode Island, so you know, we went from being 60 degrees yesterday to 85 today. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that 11% alcohol beer is not what you want to drink on this 85-degree day. <laughs> hey, depends on who you're talking to, Dave. Depends on who you're talking to. Even Denny Kahn says that life starts at 1060. <laughs> now, having had both of these in front of us, what do you think is a good and a bad difference between the two. Uh, Ron, do you want to go first? I think we probably want to hit somewhere in the middle. Ours is so over the top. Maybe tone it down a little, but yeah, I, pretty great. I, yeah, so I could go with that. Uh, ours is a little bit more extreme for the style, you know, even though it's been lagered for many months, it could be a little less hot on the alcohol. You know, it, it's, it's warming. It's certainly not a beer to drink in a New England summer. Um, the Gills version is much more sessionable. It comes in at right at 8%. It's very easy to drink. But there still has, I don't want to use this term, but it's hair rough around the edges. It hasn't been lagered the amount of time that a home brewer can give for a beer. You know, it's a commercial production facility. They can't lager, uh, you know, 30 barrels of this for seven months, which, yeah, you know, um, not many people can. Yeah, I mean, we saw the, the big old tanks. And- exactly. Yeah, an amazing facility. And for the short of the time they had to brew it, it is a stylistically perfect beer. There's no flaws in it. Well, so if, if nobody else has any comments, I think we're good here. We've got our tasting done. we got the comparison. And it is interesting to see, like, side by side, how those do differ. Um, and again, I mean, some of that's, I mean, some of that's just the sheer mechanical differences of not doing the double decoction. Yeah, certainly, yeah. The Gills version was not double decocted. Now, we, we also did not add in any melanoidin malt to you know, uh, take the place of a decoction. That was just not something that we wanted to do. So it is a different beer, but it has the same, uh, same soul as the original. I feel like if you ice boxed the Guild version, you could end up with the homebrew version. <laughs> just intensify everything. <laughs> well, and of course, earlier off mic, we were talking about ice boxing the the original version, mm-hmm. just to doubly intensify things. That, that, that is the one thing that we want to do with the original version of this Doppelbach is to ice pocket. Because I, I think that is just, you know, it's such a strong beer. It's such an amazingly smooth beer. Turn so everything the only, up even more intense. Exactly. Just, no, you know, uh, uh, Spinal Tap, turn it to mm-hmm. 11. <laughs> now, in this particular case, I think it's a Spinal Tap, turn everything to 12. 12, yes. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this chance to brew a monster of a beer and what has to change when you take a commercial. Truthfully, I'd be happy with either beer as we begin to think of colder, 
longer nights. Get ready for winter with your own Doppelbach. Now remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts. Click the AHABrewSwag.com code word experimental, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Chat with Champs, helping kids with cancer to connect with each other while they're in the hospital. So go ahead, give a buck. Come on, it's kids and cancer. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com.